I think the permanent piece, it, it's just so cool to see it penetrating the depths of institutions and cities and states even now. Hello, and welcome to Shared Space, a podcast about the power of architecture and design to make us healthier, happier, and more connected. I'm your host, Erin Peavy, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today, I'm speaking with award-winning transportation and placemaking expert, Andrew Howard. Andrew is a speaker, changemaker, and co-founder and principal of Team Better Block. Team Better Block was founded with Jason Roberts in 2010 and has focused around transportation and placemaking for public outreach. And what that's meant is that they go into communities where there's oftentimes a sort of car-centric, blighted, or underused urban area. Think of a lot of the streets throughout our nations. And what they do is they temporarily re-engineer these spaces and help the communities to reimagine them. Alongside his neighbors, he built the first two better blocks in Dallas, Texas, where I'm living currently. And he's really pioneered the idea of using pop-up demonstrations as an urban planning method. Now, this method has been used over 200 communities from Sydney, Australia to Bethel, Vermont. Better Block is seen as an alternative to typical design. And they have some amazing open source resources on their website. So make sure to check them out at teambetterblock.com. Andrew, I'm so happy to have you. Welcome to Shared Space. Thank you for having me, Erin. So I wanted to start off with one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is social connection and also loneliness. And I was wondering if you had an early memory of a space that you feel embodied community and connection for you growing up. Yeah, it actually came from a maybe a pretty unique place. I remember at a young age, my grandmother would just show up at my house sometimes and be like, uh, get in the car. We're, <laughs> we're going on a road trip. You're going to see some history, you know. And we went to the Baker Hotel in Mineral Wells, Texas once. Mm -hmm. And it had closed in the 70s. So this was probably early 80s, you know, yeah. so it was just getting into its decline. Mm -hmm. And she was a, all of like 92 pounds, probably my grandma, Masita. <laughs> I remember walking up to it and I was like, Grandma, this is closed. Masita, this is closed. And she just kind of like nudged the door open and we went into this grand palace of a hotel out in Mineral Wells. I thought she was the coolest thing before. Oh my but God, then, I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, she just busted <laughs> into this, you know, old hotel. And we're walking around these grand ballrooms and she's telling me stories about, you know, how, you know, during the 20s, they would go there in 30s and it was, you know, this bustling place. And just the stories of like how people came to that little town and had such a great experience. Mm -hmm. And as much as the hotel hit me, what hit me more was when I walked out on their main street in Mineral Wells and it was just completely dead. Yeah. I didn't know for years later, but my mom was, you know, getting like cleaning out the closets, you know, at the house. Yeah. She says, oh, you're going to want this. And she gave me a letter that she had photocopied that uh, I wrote to President Reagan. <laughs> And said, we need to fix this place. Oh my God, I love it. Oh my God. 
So that was in my subconscious for many years until I figured out where my place was in, in loving cities. Oh my God. That is the sweetest, most awesome childhood story. So, yeah. okay. So that's a great transition. Like, tell me about what's been your path getting to, to this. Yeah. Clearly it started young. It's been a bumpy one. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've always been kind of uh, a rabble rouser. So <laughs> the end of the story is that when I got to the Loeb Fellowship at Harvard, the director of the Loeb Fellowship gave me a poster, which I'm looking at right now, an old photograph of the Baker Hotel. And so it'd come full circle, you know, like, and I went from this like kid learning about it to at Harvard. And in between there, you know, worked in many different fields at the at city and government levels, worked mm-hmm. in a big consulting firm, started Team Better Block really yeah. with um, neighbors and, you know, painting our own bike lanes and kind of thinking I might lose my certification. I might, <laughs> might get jailed, you know, at some point, you know, I mean, we're breaking the law. Worth it. Yeah. And then to end up at Harvard and have this, you know, director give yeah. me this mineral, you know, thing oh. from a Baker hotel. I was just like, well, it's come full circle. So wow. it's definitely been a, a wild, wild ride. And it's just now getting, I think we're reaching maturity with the project. We've merged with WGI, which is a, a national practice in environmental and, and engineering. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people are always like, well, what, what are y'all doing with that? And I said, it's really better block has become part of the suite of, of planning tools that we're using across this country now. And so yeah. it, it feels good. I feel in a good place right now. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about better blocks process. So traditional better blocks, as I understand it, are somewhere between 90 and 120 day community engagement projects. But I know that you guys can be as short as a single day. So like, mm-hmm. tell, tell us about that sort of temporary nature and why you decided to go in that direction and ha- what you think those sort of lasting impacts of that are. Well, I'm imagining a bunch of the, the listeners today and followers of your podcast are professionals like us in the, yeah. in the design field. And really this came from me hanging out with just some normal folks, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and them asking, you know, what, why can't we have this? Why can't we have complete streets? Why don't we have placemaking? Why don't we have cool places? And in our own neighborhood, you know, they would ask me what's going on. And I'm like, Oh, it just takes time. You got to do zoning. You got to do this. And, and when I met up with Jason Roberts, he was like from it. And he's like, well, no, if you got a problem, you just go fix it. You know? <laughs> And so he just didn't know any better. And I was, I was, you know, I knew enough to to get myself in trouble. And, uh, and that's where the first couple of better blocks were very organic. Yeah. 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 It was pure. I mean, we just wanted to make a better place. Yeah. We painted our own bike lane. We did pop-up shops based upon what some of our friends had always wanted to try. They always wanted to try a coffee shop. They always wanted Mm -hmm. a flower shop. They, They wanted a kid's art studio. We just found a loophole in how to get that done quickly. And that was the, uh, the special event permit. Oh, so nice. Jason and, and other, we'd already done parties. We were doing Mardi Gras and uh, we did bike friendly Oak Cliff where we would nice. do these you know, bike rides and we would pull special events. And I saw that and I was like, this is like <laughs> our, our loophole in the system here. You can get anything Gold done ticket. with a special event permit. 
for anybody out there that's ever done, you know, a building permit that's listening to this podcast, you know, <laughs> the headaches you can get. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that red pen is out. When a special event permit comes across, <laughs> like checking boxes. I mean, and it's, it's really cool because it's part of our American uh, uh, democracy that we're able to assemble. Yeah. And so I've yet to find a place that wouldn't give us a permit for <laughs> an assembly of a better block. And so that's kind of the so, basis of it, you know, yeah, Aaron, yeah. that, that gave us that framework. And mm-hmm. then we wanted to work quick because yeah. it's a lot of volunteers. And so we yeah. didn't want to wear people out. So we said, if we do it quick, we won't talk ourselves out of it. Cool. And we didn't give us a, give ourselves enough time to come up with the worst case scenarios that could happen. Yeah. So like one of the things I'd love to hear some of the examples you know, I just saw an example the other day of, of a project that you guys had done, I think in Richardson, Texas, where you had kind of had a kind of pop-up type thing. And then it was probably a year and a half later and they, you know, transformed that into a built bike lane. And so I was wondering if you could sort of share with us a few stories around what this can look like, not only, yes, definitely on the short term, but also on the long term. Great question. It's been, you know, 10 years of maturity yeah. of the program. And, and I, you know, I don't think that Better Block was any way the, the first people to do pop-up of any sort, you know, like this was already kind of brewing in the uh, internationally, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. folks were getting fed up with the uh, bureaucracy of moving yeah. cities forward. And so, you know, there's tens of hundreds of, of organizations mm-hmm. out that are doing great work and, and uh, what, what set us apart is we gave it a name. Myself as a planner, I, I created a process that went planning process. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave it a methodology that other yeah. people could recreate and that fit into the existing planning process that was out there of yeah. cities. So that was kind of the, the first maturity of it was to formalize it and, and you know, give it a name, give yeah. it a way of replicating itself and, and yeah, yeah. You know, make it of a, a something that could be taught. And, you know, that's what we've seen. It's now in school, yeah. you know, they're teaching the better block method, which is awesome. I think that's such good advice for like anyone trying to have impact built yeah. environment or not. Don't wait around and give it a name and give it a process. Think about yeah. like, what would it be if you were going to teach it? I love that. Set a date. That was our biggest yeah. one. That's it's a like, good one. Okay. It's, you know, it's December, like in March, we're doing this. And that yeah. deadline you know, forces you to now like planning deadlines. Like we move those all the time, but special yeah. event, you can't cancel a special event because nope. people are showing up, you know, yep. like they're going to be there. You're throwing a party. <laughs> you have to perform. I think the permanent piece, it, it's just so cool to see it penetrating the depths of institutions and mm-hmm. cities and states even now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see this now in RFPs, we see it in policy. Can you like paint a picture, like give us a specific example that kind of embodies some of that? Right, right. Most recently, so the state of California saw what was going on out there with pop-up urbanism, tactical urbanism, better block, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And they're going to call it quick build out there. Mm -hmm. And they saw some communities doing it and they put two and a half million dollars toward a, no, $4.4 million statewide together for it. Wow. Those are state funds that would have been building highways. And now yes. they're going to be building quick build projects oh. for people. And That's so cool. that maturity of, the, of, of it is 
is basically saying that we don't have to wait as long yeah. anymore. And I think it's what we're seeing is, you know, the, the better block, not every location, we have to go through the full better block process of doing the pop-up. More mm. and more people are saying, just give it to us. Like we're ready. Build the bike <laughs> I love it. I love it. You yeah. Know? And so institutionally what happened with engineering was that, yeah. you know, we got caught up in that everything had to be on paper and every, I mean, I've seen like a bike lane, like mm-hmm. they had to draw the entire bike lane in CAD. And I'm like, it's the same bike lane <laughs> there. Like we didn't need to draw it all up. Like oh. design is great, but design is, you know, I could have gone out in the field with a spray paint can and told you where to put the bike lane, you know? Yeah. Get it done more accurately in about the same amount of time. Yeah. So I think we're seeing, you know, and consulting is coming around to that now is where Mm -hmm. we're not as focused on the old PS&E model of. For people that aren't familiar with PS&E. Yeah. The the whole, you know, different stages of engineering drawings. There's 1%, there's 5%, there's 20%, there's 100%. It's like, yeah, yeah. Let's get a concept. Let's go design it and go build it. You know, it's <laughs> like we don't need so many stages of this. We can shorten the the the, the concept and design process a bit. Yeah. And but what that's forcing is that we need to still make money mm-hmm. as consultants, and so we have to get out in the field now. And so yeah. that's what I would say to all your listeners is, if you're not spending some time out in the field, seeing your projects being built, and you're not mm-hmm. helping with that final step, mm-hmm. get ready because it's coming. And I think architects, yeah, we should all love that. I think everybody that I've been recruiting the last few years, that's the number one thing when they come to me, they're like, I get to get out of the field. I get to get out <laughs> of the office. And they love well, it. I know. I mean, how can they not? I mean, I think that that, you know, gives people such meaning in in their work is like we all want to see we're making a difference and you know I think that one of the cool things that I've seen you all do a little bit is to measure some of that so not to be like not to be a broken record but do you have like a specific example maybe you could even share the slow street stuff that you guys have done during COVID or if there's another project that's sort of like how'd you guys go about it and how did you measure that impact I think Jan Gale says it best. And he's like, you know, measure what you want to see more of, especially in transportation planning. You know, we measure traffic and mm-hmm. all the stuff we, we may not want to see more of, you know, crashes, yeah. you yeah. know, and we let fear guide us so much. Mm-hmm. Fear of congestion, of injury, of pollution, you know, and yeah. so we're bombarded with numbers of fear. So how do we switch that around? And let's start counting the things that really mean something to us. And so, you know, we start counting how many people are holding hands. How long is somebody sitting in a location? Mm-hmm. You sit there long enough. That means you, you probably like the place. And then upon that, you, you see that econ- ec- economics starts working. People buy more in these spaces. Mm-hmm. The parklets we've been doing in the last year during COVID with a yeah. response to giving more space to restaurants outside We've seen some more smiles under masks, you know, but uh, <laughs> the immediate impact is it's, it's, it's a lot of these businesses had no outside space. So we just gave 35, 45 chairs to them. Right. In Texas, that's about $25 a chair that can turn over about four times. <laughs> I, I've been recently talking with a number of people that are like, parklets? What are parklets? They're just 
for anyone that's not familiar with the term, can you describe, I know that they can be a lot of things, but I think that the way that you guys are doing them is also very specific and sort of has this modular component to it as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's a rather unique American thing. I think, first of all, to, (laughs) to, that we have so much parking in our, (laughs) in our communities. (laughs) Anyway, I think it's like, if you go back and look at the Bishop Arts District, you know, we didn't tell anybody, but we, we were removing about one or two parking spaces a year mm-hmm. and converting that into outdoor dining. Yeah. And so Parklets was really kind of a revolution thing where it's like, I'm going to go pay for this parking spot and I'm going to put a public space on it. Mm-hmm. And so we had parking day every year. And so out of that, I think came, well, why don't we do this, do that more? times, yeah. uh, you know, why can't we give that one parking space that is, um, you know, not paying that much rent on it yeah. to either public space or to uh, restaurants to, to turn over. Right. And so just the conversion of them into uh, an outdoor room, yep. you know, is usually what it is. Yeah. And you got to, so all the things that you want to do to make a, an outdoor room safe is you, it's got to be uh, feel safe. So you got to have a little buffering from the car. Right. It can't be too loud. We learned if it's over 60 decibels on the roadway, mm-hmm. you're not going to stay around much because yeah. uh, anything above that 60, 70, 80 decibel, that's kind of like an alarm clock going off in your ear. So yeah. you can't just go plop them down anywhere. It's got to have a road that is going to give you some, uh, some quieter, not, not be as loud. Yeah. And then, Comfort, just making them feel good, you know. And so right. sometimes that's shade, sometimes that's heat, sometimes that accommodation yeah. for your dog. Yeah, maybe a little greenery. <laughs> greenery, you gotta have landscaping. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's like a little park or a little outside yeah. room that you take into a parking space. And um, totally. I think now they're they're getting all kind of crazy with them. I mean, we did several <laughs> that are like, you know, we did them in a strip mall where we're talk, starting to take like mm-hmm. private parking out. Like, whoa, that's you know, it's dangerous stuff. We might have. <laughs> not have enough parking for the day after Christmas or the day after Thanksgiving. Oh my God. Yes. So related to that, I've recently heard that one of the things that you guys are doing is creating modular version and then helping work that through the permitting process so that that can be replicated more easily from mm-hmm. other people. Is that true? And if so, tell me more. Yeah. We're so fortunate to have, you know, better block has, we open source the whole thing. So People all over the country are innovating with the Better Block name. Yeah. And we're also fortunate that we, Jason uh, Roberts, started our foundation a couple mm-hmm. years ago. So the Better Block Foundation is really the research arm of the whole thing. I mean, they're out there testing this modular uh, parklets for us. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And, and it's pretty cool. We get to be kind of separate. We get to, you know, we're the consulting arm and I get to watch and see, oh, <laughs> I see what they're doing. And you know, foundations, that's really what they should, they should be making the mistakes, mm-hmm. iterating and making new. And yeah. Jason and his team, Krista Nightingale, have just gone above and beyond. They're not afraid to fail. You know, they're not afraid to, to experiment with new materials. Mm-hmm. And so if you look across the landscape of public space materials in, the, in this country, it's, it's very sparse. Yeah. And COVID really brought that out. I yeah. tell you, I mean, COVID has uncovered a lot of stuff that we were not prepared for in this country. Yeah, and, same, same more. Yeah, I think folks had started thinking about 
parklets and and the need for expanse of of outdoor space in main yeah. streets and and all. I mean, Virginia built twenty thousand square foot of parklets in a weekend. Wow! <laughs> I think we bought out every yeah. you know material in town. Like there yeah. were no there were no planters left. There were no seats left. There was. <laughs> You know, we, we probably bought the majority of two by fours at Walmart, you know, they had <laughs> and scarcity became a real quick thing that we saw. And now that that's kind of got getting over, people are wanting to keep all that space we've reclaimed in the country. Yes. But the materials and the knowledge is not there. Mm. If you go to France, there are makers that are building their, their outdoor dining facilities. Yeah. There. If you go to Spain or Italy, long history of, of building outdoor spaces in, mm-hmm. in a temporary fashion almost. There's nothing here in America. So Better Blog Foundation is forging that industry yeah. in America. Well, and you know, that's it kind of gels a little bit with one of the questions I had about helping communities that may be disadvantaged economically or have seen less attention, both like how are we listening to them, but also how are we engaging them? And just you sharing that, I'm like, what an amazing p- potential for training because jobs and skills training is a huge part of that as well. I, like, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are around that topic. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I hope we don't go back to just the same old thing we did before, you know, that now yeah. we realize like we need to be prepared in America for these things. And we ran out of overhead heaters. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Go try to find one right now. Oh, I'm Why sure. Why can't we build that in America? Like, it's not a big deal to build yeah. a space heater outside. You know, like we should be able yeah. to build that here. So yeah, I think it's yeah. uncovered. You know, we should we should have been able to build our, you know, make our own mask. The problem is, as soon as the crisis is over, we go back to buying the cheap stuff. And so I hope we get some staying power and say, you know, we need to build our cities with materials from our country and with skills mm-hmm. from our country and not just order it out of a catalog or yeah. out of the internet. There's a lot more designers on this call that buy a lot more materials than I do. If, if we can try, and it's not going to be the cheapest, it's not going to be the most efficient, but if we can try to hire skilled locals to do some of that it's going to make a a big difference in our country when we do have crises like we just are going through right now yeah so can you maybe share a little bit about like how do you guys engage with the surrounding community you know as much as design is an act of doing it also has a large component of listening and the Mm -hmm. process that goes behind it i'd love to hear you talk more about that yeah you know, I got to I mean, I think I had a bit of arrogance at some point in my career. After a few times that failed, I mean, we created a cool picture. You know, it looked good. Yeah. But it may not have really become permanent, you know, after yeah, a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I started realizing like uh, that picture that we created, that's just another bad rendering. Like, yeah. Even though it was a lot of coolness at that time. So mm. what I really started to focus on was how does a better block inspire permanent change in a place? And I realized that didn't come from me doing all the work and like me making sure that it looked great. Like that's cool, but I would rather have look a little less good, but someone local made it and, and owned it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that really was a big learning lesson. And now what we've been trying to do is just make, 
better tools for people to do it on their own. So the, the, yeah. the foundation now has Wikiblock, which is yeah. a CNC, you know, people can make their own public furniture, uh, mm-hmm. kiosk, all kind of stuff. And it looks good. It's not, you know, out of pallet wood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so we kind of started learning like, well, okay, well we can help people make it look good and they can do it themselves. <laughs> right. And then I, I, one other one that just really, I mean, humbled me. I was working in Fort Worth, which we don't do a lot of Texas stuff anymore, but the city had, we had a a section of road that had no sidewalk on it. Mm -hmm. And then they had done like a one block with sidewalk on Mm -hmm. it. But when they did the sidewalk, they took out all the trees. And so that was what stuck out to me immediately. I was like, well, we got a sidewalk, but we got no trees now. And then I saw people like still walking in the street. It's an African-American neighborhood. And at first I was just kind of like, well, I'm not sure why they walk in the street. And then we started questioning a few, hey, why are you walking in the street? And this lady was like, I want to walk in the street because I can see better peripherally if a dog's going to attack me. Mm -hmm. She'd been bitten by a dog. And then we asked some kids, high school kids, I was like, why are you walking in the street? And said, that's because I can see the police coming easier. Mm-hmm. If I'm on the sidewalk, I can't see them coming. We asked the homeless guy, I was like, well, why are, why are you walking in the street? He goes, because then I can see the drive-by coming. Their definition of walkability is so yep. much different than mine. After a long explanation of the city and also showing them that this street was a lot hotter because it didn't have trees yeah, anymore. Yeah. We said, let's make a shared street where it's legal for you to walk in the street. It's yeah. not considered jaywalking. We know walkability is good, but it has different definitions in yes. different communities. Yes. And, you know, safe streets and slow streets. I mean, all of these things, I just think exactly to your story, that's why we have to ask first. So often people are like, no, 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 we'll engage the community later, but like, we just need a good rendering. And you're like, I don't think so. Like, because if we start with that, then we're going to design the solution to a problem we don't understand at all. And so I think that that's such a great example for that. And also just like, how do you build ownership? Because a huge part of the success is like upkeep. I think we just need to redefine what good is. Good is good is what works for that community. And it's not that putting those sidewalks in at the city of Fort Worth, that was, that was a logical that's a <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. But it shouldn't have been the only answer to yeah. what was happening there. So I, I don't even know if we've created the, the full spectrum of solutions for communities yet of mm-hmm. what they need. Because I come back over to my neighborhood and we've got sidewalks, but I still have elderly people walking in the street. I still have oh, yeah. you know, families pushing strollers in it. And yep. uh, not, not to hang up on streets because there's all kinds of different issues, but I think it's just perspective. As professionals, we cannot go in and say the new urbanist way is the only way to do it. The complete yeah. streets way is the only way to do it. It's we need to take that collected body of knowledge, mm-hmm. understand people, and you get to understand them by, which I've done, going and eating samosas, <laughs> sitting cross-legged in their kitchen, totally. you know, <laughs> yep. and figure out where they are and bring yeah. good design close to them and yeah. take them through. Yeah. And I tell you, the one I'm struggling with right now is there's a lot of underserved communities that the American dream of owning a car and a big house and a garage mm-hmm. and commuting is still there. Yeah. And very much a dream. I think a lot of fluent America, we've already gone through some of that and decided that was a bad health decision. But, you know, folks kind of make, they, they may need to go through that mistake 
on their own. We've got to be a little bit more gentle with when we go in and say, we're taking your, your car away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People don't love that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. As much as, as much as we know how much it damages the built environment and everything else, it's, we're not getting very far by being anti whatever it is that they, <laughs> they are in. We, we need a much better way of, I, I think it's, I think it's where experiential is coming into play. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more of those communities I've seen, you know, once we got them out on a community walk or mm-hmm. a bike ride, then they got it and they said, oh, I still have my car, but now I can bike to the grocery store. That's such a good point is that I think so often, you know, even one of the huge values of what you guys do is you give people a lens to be able to see what is possible. Because I think like that as a theoretical can often be confusing little disbelief, like what, well, what would that even look like? And then you're like, oh, this is what this would feel and look like. And I, I think, you know, with the value of human connection, which I think is a small silver lining that we have come to a greater realization of our, you know, interconnectedness. I just think that that's a really important part of showing people, actually, if you design this way, you could get to know some of your neighbors and get to be closer to other people in your community. I think you're right, Aaron. And it's, um, you know, looking back 10 years now on this project, you know, I think there was a bit of an emotional awakening mm-hmm. over the last decade. People yeah. started feeling the city more. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just logical. It wasn't just put the road here, put the city, you know. Yeah. It got it more of an emotional appeal to it. And then we realized that we're not just, we don't just make decisions on logic either. Maybe we've hit the, yeah. Uh, we're but, not the econ man. I always yeah. like to say, like, yeah, we're not logic. Yeah. And for whatever it's worth in this uh, presidential administration, we've seen the peak emotional decision-making being, <laughs> and maybe not in the right direction, but <laughs> that is a bellwether for, I think, you know, uh, we, we've definitely been making a lot more emotional decisions in city building recently yeah. too, whether good or not, out of fear. And, and I think where we're headed right now with yeah. it is that we have finally realized that that vision, that American dream, that city on the hill, mm-hmm. it has a lot of different ways that it looks for people. Yeah. There's not a model of it. There's not a yeah. new urbanist, one perfect city on the hill. Yeah. Kind of, it's going to look different for everybody, but we know we can make every place a little better. Right. And you know, I think that's where I've finally gotten to. I just did a bunch of projects in suburban strip malls. Oh, cool. You know, we, we made it feel good. It had, yeah. it changed the, the aura around yeah. it, if you would, by yeah. just adding some good to it. So and, I, I and, look at any landscape now and see good in it. <laughs> no, no. I saw some of those for anybody that's listening, you should go onto the website. Cause I saw some of those. And I, when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen those. And it is amazing because so often they just feel a little lifeless to say the least. And you guys just created into a public square. It shows you what's possible. And, and that's really the spaces that are left right now. We've done, I mean, America has done such a great job with main streets and downtowns, you know, that we're getting out there. We're getting on the fringe now. Yeah. And so, you know, this next group of planners and designers that are listening to this podcast, like you're going to be tasked with some pretty ugly places. And Compare yourself. Yeah, prepare, you know, and it's not the bulldozer, like you're going to have to repair them and yeah. uh, it can be done. Like I've felt the love in them now, like they're, don't dismiss uh, the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. 
So kind of coming to a close, you know, when you think about all of your experience working in communities across the globe, what's something that you wish more people knew and used to design for community and social connection? I, I don't know. The immediate thing that comes to mind is just food because that <laughs> makes me happy. I, I got to tell you, I mean, in, in my travels, and especially with my, my girlfriend, Lindsay, like we, uh, we kind of earmark our, our travel book by what great food we had. And food's more than just what you're eating. It's, it's the, the absorption of the, the environment around you too at that time. Totally. You, know, you have totally. a euphoric, you know, so I can remember eating a, a soft serve ice cream on Quebec, you know, mm-hmm. on this really cool little plaza they had made with, with the pop-up food vendors or mm-hmm. this little uh, cup of heavily milked coffee in San Jose, Puerto Rico on a, mm-hmm. on a, on a cafe there or the, the street food that we had in Mexico on the little. So, you know, I think it's a basic necessity. And I think in so many American public spaces and streets, we've removed that quick street food. And so I think yeah. the pandemic has brought out even more that we need windows. You know, I think, well, one of the fun ones we saw in, in uh, Italy, they used to have during the plague, they had these little windows Mm-hmm. wine windows oh nice <laughs> and, you know they didn't they you know same thing we're going through right now they didn't want a lot of contact but people yeah. wanted their wine right they gotta have yeah. a wine Come on so now. they built these little doors that you could set a wine bottle in and then the other side had another door where someone would pick it up you know mm-hmm. and you'd leave the money we built a taco window in uh <laughs> farmer's branch texas <laughs> <laughs> go on yeah so that you could pick up your tacos without having any contact. But I think what we've seen is this dramatic loosening in alcohol permits and food permits in America mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a free-for-all. And I don't want that to go away because it so enlivens the street and public mm-hmm. spaces. And we should just build that into every place that we think people are going to gather. Uh, parks, main streets, parking lots, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Like, I love it. We need to make it easier and we need yeah. to, to make it part of the central planning theme is that uh, we have quick food and beverage and uh, uh, small entrepreneurs that can pop up. For me, that's uh, that's just a little pet peeve that I keep pushing. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. Anything else that you, you know, closing thoughts? I, I think so much coming out of this, this pandemic that we're going to, we're going to be in a, a real... Uh, explosion of of people getting together at some point. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're going to be ready to party, right? Yeah. And uh, we're going to make it. We're going to get there. I think our profession is 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 going to change a lot mm-hmm. over the next few months, and we've already seen it. I'm just really excited because I think it means a better appreciation of what's in between the buildings. We're all going to get better at designing that space together. I can't thank you enough, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us. It's been a joy talking with you. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Shared Space. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe wherever you're listening and head on over to Apple to give us a review. It really helps to spread the word and we really appreciate it. I hope that your day is filled with honest emotion, kindness, and connection. Thanks so much and take care.